I always feel like I need to write a love letter to my church just to remind them how meaningful that moment was when I stepped over the threshold into their building and my life changed forever because now this huge part of my identity that I had to unravel and set aside now gets to be a huge part of my identity again. Hello and welcome to Out Loud Season 3. Out Loud is a podcast by and for queer people of faith in the South. Here we tell our stories of varied religious upbringings, messy coming outs, and the gift of community with one another. Until now, the voices we have interviewed have been primarily academic, and so this season we're making steps to interview more folks embedded right here in our Nashville community. We begin that journey today with the Lindsay Dye, whose voice you just heard. Lindsay is a caseworker at the Mental Health Cooperative here in Nashville. Growing up Baptist, she struggled to find a church after coming out, eventually finding one in the United Methodist Church. Lindsay is from Mount Juliet, Tennessee, where it was difficult to find the resources she needed. Today, her focus is on guiding LGBTQIA youth through coming out and the journey beyond. She identifies as lesbian or gay with the gender pronouns she, her, hers. You'll hear in this episode that Lindsay is a member of Edge Hill United Methodist Church. I reached out to Reverend John Feldhacker over at Edge Hill to learn a little bit more about their church. Located in the Edge Hill neighborhood of Nashville, just east of Vanderbilt and Music Row, Edge Hill UMC has historically been at the forefront of welcoming queer people into its doors. They were the first reconciling congregation in Tennessee, as well as in the Southeast. Back in the 80s, Members connected with dying HIV-AIDS patients who had become estranged from their families and cared for them in their final hours. This kind of care for the queer community is embedded within the fabric of Edge Hill. They welcome into their congregation men, women, and children of every age and stage of development, every race, class, ethnic heritage, sexual orientation, and gender identity, as well as every combination of abilities and limitations. Edgehill's regular in-person worship times are Sundays at 8.15 a.m. for a smaller contemplative service and 10.45 a.m. for a larger service with their choir. To learn more, visit edgehill.org. You'll also find Edgehill listed under the resources tab of our brand new website. We want to make sure churches know about queer people of faith, that we exist, and that you know about churches that are open and affirming to you attending their services. While you're there, you can let us know about any churches that you think should be on this list, and you can listen to previous episodes of the show in a brand new, shiny format. It's all there at outloudstories.com. And now, let's hear from Lindsay Dye. So where I wanted to start was, um, we talked briefly before the show, and you kind of identified yourself as a quote-unquote recovering Baptist. Mm Mm-hmm. What um, Can you tell me a bit about what your faith was like growing up? Yeah. So I grew up in a home where you didn't go to church every Sunday, but you identify as a Christian. Maybe you went to church on holidays. And even growing up, I think being a Christian didn't really necessarily mean something specific. It was just like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. We believe in God and Jesus died for our sins. And that was pretty much the, the depth of the explanation. Mm. It wasn't until... I was 16 that I started attending a Bible study with my grandmother's brother, Hmm. and immediately I was just enthralled with the Bible stories and Hmm. the verses, and oh man, I took so many notes. 
we all had steno notebooks Mm -hmm. and I filled those suckers up with all of the right Bible verses that I needed to know. And if I was going to share this information with someone, um, this and this, and this is the most important to make sure that they know. Um, so I, I soaked it up like a student, but at the same time, I was also, it was, it was also feeding a spiritual side of myself that had been kind Mm -hmm. of vacant. And when did things start to kind of change for you as far as like, when did you start questioning what you were hearing? I guess it was probably, so when I was 16, at that point I had definitely already had a few years of having weird experiences with my sexuality, but I had no vocabulary and no experience Mm -hmm. and no role models to ground any of that and tell me what it was that I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, Around age, I guess, 13 or 14 is when I started to think, about my friends in more emotional and romantic ways, but I didn't think that's what it was at the time. Only looking back now, can I recognize that um, I had a crush on my friend or um, some kind of attraction because I thought that I just really admired this girl or I just wanted to be with her all the time. Oh my gosh, I've had so many of those too, where like looking back, I'm like, oh, that relationship makes so much more sense now. Like why I was crushed when we were no longer friends or something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Crushed is a good word. Yeah. Yes. I mean, um, I had so many experiences, especially in middle school, um, when I had thoughts like, I kind of want to kiss her. Hmm. But then I thought, oh, no, that doesn't make me gay. I just really, really like this person. And I'm sure that lots of other girls probably feel this way, but everybody's too scared to say it. Yeah. Um but that's that's not true for any of you kids who are thinking that or listening right now. Um, <laughs> if you want to kiss your friend and she's also a girl, that's that's not like the status quo uh, experience. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. So I would always dismiss those things, and I also was getting messages growing up never that gay people were bad, but they were just different, and we weren't like that, and you should be nice to everyone, but but we're not gay. Um, I wanted to be the right kind of Christian so badly. That's the way a lot of themes in my life have been. I always want to be mm. the right version of whatever this is that I'm trying to be. Mm. So it wasn't until I was 19 and in college that I started being really honest with myself about how I felt. And that's when things at church started to unravel. So when college rolled around and I got my first girlfriend, I was in utter denial about my sexuality still. I thought, you know, this is just something that I've been really curious about basically my whole life, and I need to just get it out of my system, and then I'll get married to a man, and everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. I just need to get this curiosity answered. And And it's college, and you're, like, allowed to do that. That's kind of the, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's definitely the message you get about college, too. Like, oh, that's the time when you just really let loose and explore. And But I sure was not going to let anybody know the how how far I was exploring right. it was no one no one knew about this so I didn't leave the church I believe until I was about 22 the real turning point for mm. me was they call it the the church constitution I don't know if all baptist churches have one of these but it's basically a small booklet that has all of the church's beliefs and they're alphabetized very neatly and it's 
they had updated the church constitution and one Sunday morning they handed out a copy to everybody and I was very curious about this new document I'd never seen. I start flipping through it. The first thing that I knew I wanted to look up was homosexuality. We never really had yeah. sermons about homosexuality, but when I flipped to the H's and saw homosexuality, they had written that anyone found to be a part of a homosexual relationship or engaging in that lifestyle would be asked to leave the church immediately. Mm. And that really just kind of flew all over me because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, if wow. you think that there's something so wrong with this, wouldn't you want people to stay at your church so you could help them and maybe show them the error of their ways? Um, I don't, looking back now, I can see that I was taking it really personally because of my life at that time, but yeah. I was still in such heavy denial, even though I was in a very committed relationship at that time with another woman that I, I would never have self-identified as a lesbian or a, a gay person or mm. even bisexual at that time. Um, but I think that was the turning point for me at that church where yeah. I started slowly um, disengaging, going less. Um, finding excuses, being busy, being busy with college. Mm-hmm. So while you were in this relationship and kind of having kind of like one foot in one world and one foot in the other, mm-hmm. what was, um, were you out to anyone? Was this just no a one. private experience sort of? or No like, one. <laughs> <laughs> how was that? It, um, secrecy really breeds shame. I think Mm -hmm. that I still had a lot of shame about myself and denial. And my girlfriend was in the same place. She was like, you know, Mm -hmm. I love you and we love each other, but one day we're going to be best friends and we'll be neighbors um, in our houses where we live with our husbands. Oh, wow. So. Was she also Baptist or? uh, No, she grew up in Church of Christ. Okay. Yeah. Same kind of um, belief system on homosexuality at that time? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. 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 When did you kind of start to say, okay, this is actually who I'm attracted to and this is part of my Mm -hmm. identity? It wasn't until I met my now wife that I realized, okay, this is a pattern. This is not, I had, I had been lying to myself all throughout middle school and high school. Maybe not even lying to myself. That's a little harsh. I think I was just supremely unaware and, and supremely out of touch with my feelings to know that all of those girls that I had liked growing up, I, I had feelings for, yeah. um, my girlfriend in college, I, I loved her. I didn't just want to get something out of my system and the feelings I had for this, this new woman were undeniable. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that she was straight and there was nothing ever going to happen with that. So I sunk into a deep depression, not only mm-hmm. about, that but about my sexuality because now it was all kind of coming to a head and it was undeniable so that depression is when I really started to question can I be a Christian being a Christian had become such a big part of my identity since going to that family Bible study and then going to the Baptist church with my family Mm -hmm. and then becoming the Baptist collegiate ministries president Mm -hmm. um, that I suddenly had a big kind of like identity crisis like I don't think there's ever going to be a place for me in the church anymore I don't feel like I'm a bad person or really a sinful person 
but I don't know if there's a place for me in Christianity anymore. I don't know. What if Christianity is not even real? What, you know, all of the, all of the things that somebody questioning their pull faith. Pull the thread and the whole thing just starts yes. to unravel. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's funny that you said pull this thread because I was telling someone that it was like I was wearing this big heavy sweater and had to unravel absolutely everything I believed <sighs> about faith and Christianity yeah. and start back over from square one. So there were several years that I was, I felt very alone and depressed. I never got to the point of feeling suicidal, but I felt very scared of death because I didn't, I just didn't know what awaited me on the other side because I didn't know what I believed anymore. And I'm guessing you were given a lot of messages saying that because of who you are, there wasn't anything good waiting for you on the other side. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. No. Were you able to find any resources or supports kind of during this mm-hmm. this time this was a, around 2010 the internet was still kind of totally different than it is now it's amazing yeah. how different the internet was back only nine years ago um i did a lot of googling and i think i eventually came upon the gay christian network okay. gcn yeah. are you familiar yeah. with that yes yes, yes. That was started by Justin Lee, right. and so I, that's where I found all of his books, the things that he'd written, yes. his personal blog, and immediately knew that I had to get his book so fast, in fact, that I couldn't wait for a paper copy, so I downloaded it to the Kindle app on my iPad. Was this and immediately, torn? It was torn, yes, yeah. That's a that's an excellent read. Yeah. It is. I actually got it off of Amazon Prime earlier this week because I was like, I need to brush up on this book that I read nine years ago in case there's anything specific that I've, I don't know, forgotten. Yeah. Um, so I started reading that and I immediately felt very um, connected with Justin. He also was raised in a Baptist um, mm-hmm. setting and I could agree and identify with all of the experiences and thought processes that he was going through in his own coming out um, process. And he had a lot of the same scriptural background that I had picked up throughout Mm -hmm. family Bible study and Baptist church time. And it was interesting the way he was able to reinterpret, interpret differently. So many of the, I think in, in the book, he calls them clobber verses, the verses they use to clobber you. Clobber like, passages. Clobber yeah. passages. Yeah. 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 He broke down a lot of the verses that I already knew, already had memorized, right. that already stressed me out. Mm-hmm. And it's just, there's, I think there's so many different ways to look and interpret the Bible that when it's only been shown to you one way your whole life, it's, it's very difficult to imagine it through another lens. Mm-hmm. And that's the space that I was in when I started reading that book. Um, I'd never attended any other churches or had any other Christian experiences mm-hmm. other than this one singular Baptist experience. So to be able to look at verses in the New Testament in a different way was very liberating. It was scary. I still felt like I was unraveling that heavy sweater that we talked about. Yeah. But it just it felt so right in my heart, and it clicked, and... It's kind of like I learned something that I could never unlearn. I now knew something I could I could never unknow. Mm-hmm. Once you see, you can't unsee. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I felt like I had been shown this new way to look at and experience my faith 
that I would never be able to forget. Like now that I, now that my mind had opened to these, these new forms of in, interpretation, I knew I'd never be able to go back to my same old church or old community groups or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it fundamentally like rewired my brain and my spirit mm-hmm. in a way that felt like it totally clicked for me and my personality and my way of seeing the world and the way that I interpreted Jesus to be as much more Jesus and God as much more of a a loving um, parental figure rather than somebody who was keeping score mm-hmm. on how well you're doing today. Um, gosh, I used to have a post-it on my mirror in my bedroom that said, have you prayed today? Have you asked for forgiveness of your sins today? Because um, mm. <laughs> I was so stressful. It was stressful. <laughs> I was so scared I was going to miss something and do something wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're hitting on something really crucial in like the coming out into your faith experience of just like for me once it was a part of my identity or like once I started to kind of accept that I was gay then it was like there was just no there's no turning back after that and like all of a sudden I was hyper aware of all the ways that my church on the local level and on the like global level was excluding LGBT people you don't realize until you step out of a system like that that who's in and who's out Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just uh, yeah it's like your eyes have been opened mm-hmm. you didn't even see the hole that was there right. until you realized that you were a part of that hole so i'm wondering now kind of what was then your journey toward the Methodist Church, kind of mm-hmm. between this this time of of questioning and and reading Torn and mm-hmm. um, getting into the end of your senior year and kind of after college. So soon after getting out of college, um, I started dating my now wife, and this was the first relationship that she'd had with a woman, oh, wow. and I think she was very much kind of in denial about her sexuality as well. Um, so we. We dated for about two years until I finally moved into her house. Um, and this whole time I was growing, I was going to grad school. So I was now exposed to even more diverse people, um, even more um, liberal professors, um, just a lot a lot of people that were very different than who I had experienced in kind of my small, my small college campus setting. Mm. And I was feeling more comfortable with my faith. Certainly didn't think there was a church out there for me, especially in Tennessee, but, um, was definitely kind of like regrowing a personal relationship with God and redefining what my new version of faith was now. So she and I, um, we're, we're always kind of on a different page about coming out. I had been processing this a few more years than mm-hmm. she had. Yeah. She was very nervous about coming out to friends or family. At this point, I had told one or two of my closest friends, um, I'm a lesbian. I, I don't know how long it's going to take for me to come out and tell the whole world this, but um, started kind of inching out of the closet just a tiny bit, just kind of towing my way out there. How'd that feel? 
It was still very scary. Yeah. Very scary. Um, it helped that at the end of my graduate program, I started an internship and started working with teenagers. And there was a teenager who I immediately connected with, and she identified as a lesbian. And immediately it was like we saw something in each other that was the same, although we didn't identify, identify that with each other right away. Mm-hmm. And she was only a freshman in high school, and she was very out and proud and accepting of herself. And I was so inspired by this child. That's amazing. Um, this child will know who they are when they hear this. Um, <laughs> actually, this child is now ha- has now transitioned, so I would say he will know this when he hears it. Okay. At the time... Um, identified as a lesbian and I was so inspired by this kid's um, just bravery and self-acceptance and Mm self-love and I remember calling my wife like we got to start working towards coming out like I want to be free of this burden yeah I want to be the way this kid is Um, and I hope I hope that this this child knows how fundamental they were in helping me come out I'm not gonna cry but um, that little baby 14 year old little gay baby um really helped kind of inching me forward and giving me that that bravery so i was working intensively with this child on the side getting like individual clinical hours and also working with groups at this internship and um i started coming out to a few more friends here and there even a couple of friends that i was a little bit nervous about but was feeling a little bit braver and um at this point, same-sex marriage was not legal. So this is my girlfriend at the time, my now wife. But um, she was still just not ready, not on the same page as me. And it wasn't until actually in the last couple of years that we've started to come out that I came out first. She came out later as being married to me. Um, we had to get married suddenly when we thought she had cancer. Oh, my goodness. And I had a new job. And we thought she was going to have to undergo a lot of extensive cancer treatment. And I knew I had to be there to take care of her. So um, it wasn't the most romantic way that I had wanted to get married. But I knew I had to take care of this person that I had been with for seven years. At the time, it had been seven years. So um, the beginning of that year when when we had gotten that cancer scare, I told her, I was like, okay, 20... 17 is going to be the year that we're going to come out fully. No more just hodgepodge of friends here and there knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at this point, maybe my sister knew. Um, I I can't live in this closet anymore. It's mm-hmm. It feels heavier and heavier every day. Absolutely. So let's, I wanted to find a LGBT friendly therapist. And I was like, maybe with the, the help of a therapist, she can help us navigate this together. So I found yeah. a wonderful therapist um, who has guided probably hundreds of people on their coming out journey. That's great. That's amazing. Yes. What an honor to be able to help so many people through that. I hope I get to do that one day. Um, but, um, we started going to therapy together, processing, like, what were the things about coming out that were the scariest? How are we going to deal with that? Very practical things. Um, then my wife got sick, and we kind of had to put all that to the side for a little while. Yeah. But um, in the last two years, uh, we finally came out to absolutely everyone. In the process of meeting with that therapist, this gets back to your final question of um, how did we find our way to the Methodist Church. Yeah. 
I had mentioned to my therapist that I really wanted to get back into a faith community, but I just did not think that something like that existed. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely not in Tennessee. And I had Googled before, back when I Googled originally for the Gay Christian Network, I was trying to find LGBT-friendly churches. And I don't know if there's something wrong with algorithm at that time or what. Nothing came up. <laughs> and I know that my church oh, was out there yeah. existing at that point. Yeah. I had the same experience with really? the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. The, there would be these, like, lists that were out on, on different websites. And mm-hmm. I would look. And it, it never – there would be one, but it would be, like, 100 miles away. And I'm like, well, that's right. not helpful. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not their fault. They're just the ones that's just the only pulling one. all this da- data right. together. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's It's it's discouraging until yes. you – hear someone get a recommendation right it only affirmed to me that what i believed was that there absolutely were no lgbt friendly churches in tennessee um so when i i voiced that desire to my therapist she rattled off five churches off the top of her head Mm. immediately so um my wife and i began what we called our church tour we went to one church we liked it it was okay we went to another church we liked it also it was all right and then we went to Edge Hill on our third Sunday. And I remember as I stepped over the threshold into the sanctuary, which we call the big room. So I stepped my foot over the threshold into the big room. I immediately had emotion wash over me that was so intense. And I had no idea where it was coming from. I wanted to cry. I didn't know why. But I certainly had to hold it in because I had a greeter with a bulletin <laughs> greeting me, hand out, smile yeah. on their face. I was like, I cannot, I cannot bust out in tears in front of this person. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was like I had found, it was like I had put my hand in the perfect fitting glove of what church had always mm. been meant to feel like. Mm. That perfect fit that I never felt at the Baptist church growing up, that I never felt even... when I was working with Baptist Collegiate Ministries, it was the perfect fit for me and for my soul that I think I had always been looking for. And no one had even said anything yet. I mean, the sermon hadn't even started. People were still just walking around. It was just something about being in that room. And I think also it was because at the first two churches, they were very beautiful. um, But I felt like I need some kind of outward expression in this building that I'm welcome and not only welcome, but like celebrated and wanted here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And while these buildings are beautiful, I kind of feel like I'm just in any other Tennessee church. When I walked into the big room at Edge, um, Edge Hill United Methodist Church, there are two giant rainbow banners hanging up front mm-hmm. that says Edge Hill, a recogni- uh, reconciling ministry. And they were just, I mean, it was like they were on display proudly in the center of the room. Um, in the most visible way. So seeing a rainbow flag hanging up in a sanctuary just really, really got me. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I wanted to sit as close to that banner as I could and so I could have the best view of it. And, uh, and during this time, this was in March of 2017, um, Trump had already taken presidency mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of... Um, a lot of backlash for that in um, kind of the the liberal online communities that I was a part of. I was very much becoming interested in social justice and also feminism and things like that at this time. So when the, when the pastor started talking about um, some social justice themed um, things in his sermon, 
I remember grabbing my wife's um, shirt and like tugging like a little kid, like, do you hear this? Do you hear this? These people think and believe and love and see the world the way we do. This is it. This is where we're supposed to be. And I know she kept kind of side-eyeing side eyeing me. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, <laughs> calm okay, down. Calm down, Lindsay. <laughs> I was very excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was March of 2017, and we've been going there ever since. That's beautiful. I love, I love it when a space feels like that. I've been to a few yeah. churches that, um, a few Catholic churches throughout my life, before and after coming out, I guess. But just had those moments where mm -hmm. the space itself does all the talking for yes. the community that it represents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it felt like coming home, a home that I didn't realize I was missing that whole time. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. I will never forget that. Every year on the anniversary of, um, I say every year. This will it'll be three years in March. I always feel like I need to write a love letter to my church just to remind them how meaningful that moment was when I stepped over the threshold into their building and my life changed forever mm -hmm. because now this huge part of my identity that I had to unravel and set aside now gets to be a huge part of my identity again yeah. and it is yeah it belongs mm -hmm. mm. yeah well and what and it, it 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 sounds like such a relief because it's so hard to know if there's a community out there that's going to be affirming, let alone a community that's out there that's like your speed and your style and like what you right. believe and like how you like to worship and all those kinds of I mean, there's so many things that go into looking for a church that you really get something out of. Right. On top of the fact that you're just like, all right, hopefully this church will like acknowledge that I belong as a human being. Yes. My, my whole self will belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, that's great that first day at Edge Hill, I remember. Um, so communion had been a huge source of stress for me in the Baptist church because we did communion once a month. I think it was always the first Sunday of the month. Mm -hmm. And it was always built up like, okay, this is a very holy, a very sacred time. You need to make sure that you have been cleansed of all of your sins. Everything mm -hmm. that you've done wrong this week, you need to make sure you have confessed all of it. You need to come into this holy space as pure as you can possibly be. Mm. So first Sunday of the month, I was always very stressed. I was going over my list of all the things I had said or done that were sinful. Make sure to get those forgiven real quick before I take this grape juice and this little piece of bread. And that first Sunday at Edge Hill, so they do communion every single Sunday. And um, they stand in a big circle in the room and hold hands while they do it. Mm. And I remember the, the young woman who was sitting in front of me, who's now a good friend of mine, she turned around and said, you're probably going to want to stand in the back of the room so you can see the screen because we're going to be singing some songs. Um, but this is wonderful. This is my favorite part. Oh. And she was so excited that I thought, oh, something great is about to happen. Yeah. And I loved so much holding hands with the people around me and singing songs that I didn't really know, but I already really liked them. And suddenly felt like a weight lift off me like communion felt very holy and special in that moment and not a source of stress and make sure you get all forgiven up before mm -hmm. you start doing this so we do do that every sunday mm. and almost always think about that first time yeah. and how it became something wonderful and holy compared to a um 
a time of significant stress and worry and guilt. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of um, when I first moved here to Nashville. I joined the Nashville and Harmony Choir. Have you heard of them? Yes. In town? Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's this huge. I want to say it's it's definitely over a hundred. It might be a hundred and fifty um, member choir. That's completely LGBT affirming, mm-hmm. and allies can join as well. So it's not like exclusive either. I always wonder like about that. Like, do, do you have to show them like your membership card or something? To <laughs> I don't think you. <laughs> I didn't know. No, I was never asked. Never <laughs> <laughs> to provide any documentation, but um, and I was um, at the very first rehearsal of the season, which is this like day long process where you're getting all your music and you're just like, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for a rookie, for a new, a new person, it's like, oh my gosh, so overwhelming. Like there's just a yeah. lot going on here. Yeah. And, um, but at the very end we sang, um, there's this song, I'm no, I'm no longer singing with them, but there's this song that we sang that they continue to sing called why we sing. Mm-hmm. And it's this, beautiful almost hymn-like song and um that's just all about the beauty of music the beauty of singing and the beauty of like one another Uh and we are rehearsing in this baptist church at glendale baptist church yes um, not too far from here and and um we did something quite similar there wasn't communion involved it Mm -hmm. was just choir rehearsal but we all got into a big circle in this mm-hmm. church with rainbow flags yes. and held hands and sang this song. And I just remember being completely just gunned down tears yes. coming down my face. And I didn't even know the words to the song yet. I was still like <laughs> ro- flipping through my music, like, oh, what's happening? But like all of a sudden, like it was just like the like logic part of my brain just shut down and was like, I don't care what the words are mm-hmm. anymore. And they like, my heart just opened up and um, it mm-hmm. was just this beautiful, beautiful moment um, Absolutely. to just be a part of and to witness this community create for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, There's something humbling about holding hands with people in a circle and it's kind of vulnerable. No one's in the front. No one's in the back. Yeah, everyone's equal. equal. Um, it's kind of vulnerable that everybody can see each other all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really kind of like sets the scene for either a really awkward moment if you're not into it or a super beautiful moment like you and I experienced. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so you ended up getting your master's in counseling Mm -hmm. and um now you work with the mental health cooperative Yes. and so i'm kind of just curious like what um how are you folding your care for other folks coming out for the lgbt community kind of into your work Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. um i started working at mental health cooperative in 2017 and I um, sometimes interchangeably say I'm a social worker. I'm also, really, I'm a caseworker. I have a, my master's in mental health counseling, and I'm working on my clinical hours for my LPC. So I'm, I'm kind of like a therapist, and, um, but definitely a caseworker. And I work with a small caseload of children with intensive needs. And I was discovering in my work of becoming very close to these children these are children that I would see three times a week for months. And when you see somebody that much, you see them more than you see your own family. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. really learn 
a lot about that person. Sometimes, depending on how open they want to be with you, can really like know that person to the depths of who they are. Yeah. Especially when they're somebody in need and they have um, really that that need for support, and you're there filling that need. So, mm-hmm. the um, the children that I started working with, every now and then, I would get a child that I I recognized as somebody like me, even if they didn't realize it yet. Mm-hmm. And actually had several children that were not really out to themselves or ready to be out to me yet. But I was seeing a need for teenagers to have a space like I needed when I was around that age. And um, it wasn't until several months ago, it was back in May, May of this year, that I thought I need to take this to the next level and create a group. Um, and work with these kids more intensively. And I don't know how I'm going to find more time in my work schedule for this, but I will make time because I want to do it that badly. Yeah. Um, so I, I went to a coworker who I knew was also queer. Mental Health Co-op is a, is a very um, LGBT friendly company. Mm-hmm. So it, it helped that it was an environment where everybody could kind of start the job and be out. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot of other lesbians or other queer people or, um, gay men that worked there that worked there and um, so it was the perfect setting I thought and a company that would be very open minded and cool with me starting an LGBT group for teenagers Yeah. so I approached one of my co-workers who I knew was also queer and said hey this is a dream of mine I think that you'll have some experiences you could bring to the table that I wouldn't necessarily have I would love for you to help me run this group and she said yes. So we started kind of trying to figure out what our group was going to look like, the ages. So we've had kids that are between 13 and 18. Um, and we've been meeting about every other week, sometimes a little more spaced out depending on how busy we are. But um, since June, and we call ourselves the out crowd. That was something that I came up with. All the teenagers I've talked to think that's dorky. I thought it was cool, (laughs) but I'm used to the teenagers on my caseload thinking I'm dorky, so... So just roll with it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm only 31, y'all. I feel like I'm not that old, but man, you are. Things that were cool this year are not going to be cool next year. you got to stay on top of things with these kids. They keep (laughs) me young. So, and that, that even opened me up, like, talking with these kids in group. It's like, I don't even know all of the most updated... Um, slang or terminology or whatever Ow, about my sorry, own community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we started doing the group in June and it was, it was a similar experience to stepping over the threshold into Edge Hill. Mm. It felt like this is exactly right. This is exactly what I need to be doing. I always knew that I wanted to be a therapist um, or a helper to some degree. Before I honed it into therapy, I always knew I wanted to be a helper of some kind. And it wasn't until I was sitting in this room with my group of kids that I got that similar feeling wash over me. Like, this is actually exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. This is the the niche in the helping field that is right for you. So I don't know how that's going to play out for the rest of my life. I hope to have maybe an, my own organization or nonprofit of my own one day big dreams but um sitting in that room with those kids the first couple of group sessions was just chills running up and down my back and my arms um 
hearing them start off so shy and timid around each other, but then opening up, watching them develop really close friendships with one another. I made a point to say in the first or second group, I was like, I know that life seems really scary and maybe even a little hopeless right now because you don't know how your sexuality is going to fit into the rest of your life. And I know since I've been a teenager before, it's really hard to look into the future and know what it's like to be an adult. And so now that I am an adult, I can tell you all that your life is going to grow and blossom and be so beautiful in so many ways that you can't even imagine right now because you don't know all of the different ways that that could even exist at this moment. But I have so much of everything that I ever wanted at this point in my life. And I promise that all of you can have that too. You just have to get through all of these hard seasons because I think actually absolutely every child in our group, maybe with the exception of one child, um, all of their families are very, um, very much against whatever sexuality they identify as or gender identity. So we spend a lot of time in the group kind of processing that and figuring out how they can better communicate with their parents and explain things to them and also kind of just educate them and give some names and labels for some of the things that they're feeling that they don't know what they are yet. Yeah. So like, um, I had talked to a kid recently who was telling me like, some days I feel like a boy. Some days I feel like a girl. Some days I like to dress really masculine. Other days I like to wear really feminine clothes, but what is that? I don't even know what I am. It's like, well, you could be gender non-binary and explained all of that. And it was like seeing that click, mm-hmm. that uh, light bulb moment happened for that child. Um, labels are not super important, but sometimes they are when you're trying to figure out your identity. Yeah. So yeah. just knowing that like, Oh yeah, this is a thing. That's a thing. Or there's other, other people, people that, like yeah, this. Yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like you're, you're offering, I mean, in that instance, you're offering them knowledge, like just wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're, you're offering, you know, especially if they're coming from a household that's not affirming, you're offering them some hope that right. they can be themselves someday in some place. Right. And in a weird sort of way, I think you're offering them some level of faith in a way that it's going to get better Mm -hmm. and i mean it it sounds like all the elements of church (laughs) yes (laughs) kind of baked into this i I never thought of that yeah if i can if i can extend godly love to someone in the way that i feel like god would want me to do not in a judgmental or legalistic or whatever structured way that was taught to me growing up if i can offer pure just i think it's agape love that's just the most godly pure love Mm -hmm. if i can give that to any kid any lgbt kiddo um then i can make that my life's work and be totally satisfied yeah So what are you doing um, nowadays to um, to take care of yourself, to make sure you're fed? Oh my gosh. Greg, don't ask me about self-care. Self-care. Oh my gosh. <laughs> self-care is such a buzzword, you know? Um, it is, but it's one of my favorite questions to ask people because I think it's when we, you know, when we have, whether it's been disowned by a family member or by a church or something like that, it, I think, or like you mentioning earlier, you know, kind of having this 
this moment of depression, this time of depression, this chapter, like mm-hmm. that's where the self-care has to kick in if mm-hmm. there aren't any other supports around. Right. <clears throat> um, at, at my job, self-care is kind of like an anthem. They're always preaching to us because they don't want us to burn out. Oh, yeah, yeah, They definitely. want all of their caseworkers <laughs> to stay. So they're like, make sure you take care of yourself this week. As, as someone who's always looking outward to help, it's hard to look inward and see what I need myself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I can definitely say that going to my church has been the healing balm that I always, that I needed so many years and didn't realize I needed. Mm. I look forward to Sundays. I also sing in the choir. So I look forward to Wednesdays when I get to go in and practice with the choir. Um, And I don't want it to be over when it's done. I want to tell everybody to sit back down and let's just do this a little bit longer because it's, it's a meditative time where I don't have to be anything for anyone. I can just listen and soak it up. I don't have to take feverish notes the way I did when I was 16, 17, you know, um, I don't even have to open my Bible and look at the verses. I just let them food, uh, spoon feed it to me, you know? (laughs) And, um, I just let it go straight to my heart and I don't feel like I have to be a student to it. Yeah. You know? So going to church is definitely something that's self-care for my soul. I have recently picked up reading a lot. That's kind of a good time when I can zone out and quit thinking about the problems of the world mm-hmm. because I do worry about the world a lot, <laughs> whether it's my kids or things that are happening on a global scale. Yeah. I think probably like you and I and a lot of millennials, we definitely have our finger on the pulse of everything going on out there and mm-hmm. how it's going to impact us centuries, yeah. decades from now. Um, so church and reading... I got a massage for the first time in my whole life yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really job. nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to stop myself from talking to the masseuse, asking how she was doing. <laughs> did she stop you or did you? No, she just asked me like, what kind of work do you do? Oh, and so that, that can lead into a lot. So after about two sentences, I was like, Lindsay, you have got to shut up. This is just, just lay here. <laughs> yeah. So those all sound like good things. What, um, another question I want to ask kind of before we wrap is, um, given all your experiences here growing up in this, in middle Tennessee and going to school in middle Tennessee and now living here in Nashville, what do you, um, what hopes do you have for the LGBT community here in Nashville? Kind of a broad Mm. question, but what hopes do I have for our community? I would like more spaces for LGBT kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself always focusing on the kids because it's easier for me to look back and see what I needed at that time. Mm-hmm. I don't fully know everything I need as a, a lesbian adult woman right now. But I, I really wish that there were more spaces for queer kids to come and be celebrated and feel safe. Um, I know in larger cities they have like LGBT centers and places where people can receive therapy or medical treatment or just have a, a safe place to come and stay. And I, I hope that there's going to be more places like that in the future in yeah. Nashville and, yeah. and in other communities. Some of the kids I work with are in rural kind of outlying areas around Nashville and they have absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. So like the social worker that lives inside me, I would just love more resources totally. for for those around us. I mean, LGBT kids are 
40% more likely to be homeless and hungry and um, struggle in school and struggle with anxiety and depression. And there's, there's a lot of unmet need, I think, there. Yeah. Before we wrap up, is there anything, um, is there anything else that you'd like to share that mm. um, maybe came to mind that we didn't get to talk about? I don't think so. This has been a really beautiful experience. It was um, just earlier this week that I had the honor of meeting Tegan and Sarah. Mm. Oh, wow. And they're two of my heroes. I was um, starstruck, but trying to act like totally cool and normal when I met them. Yeah. Told them about my group. And uh, they were very supportive and excited. And even offered that I apply for some of their funds through the Tegan and Sarah Foundation, which if you haven't heard of the Tegan and Sarah Foundation, that's a really cool organization to look up. Um, so I was very humbled that they would take me seriously enough to have a few minute conversation about that. But um, they recently released a memoir about their high school years. And I have a copy of it, a paper copy, but I've also been listening to it in my car as I drive around visiting my kids. And it was like perfect timing for me to listen to that because it kind of got the the wheels turning in my mind thinking back to when I was um, younger and listening to their coming out experiences which were like spurring memories from my early years in middle school and high school exploring myself and um, questioning my sexuality this was a really good it was a really good timing for all of this to happen so it's been it's been a privilege to be on your podcast oh well I listen to so many podcasts and now I'm on one. <laughs> it's very exciting. And yes. it's been a privilege having you on this Thank show. You Thank you so for your much. candor and for your joy. It's yes. been wonderful. Thank you. A special thanks to Lindsay for coming on the show. You can find her over on Instagram at Lindsay Gale. You'll find that link in the show notes along with other resources mentioned in this episode. That's it for our season three premiere. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and our editor is Cariad Harmon. She'll be with us throughout this season. You can hear her as the co-host of the show Neighbors, another fantastic local podcast which just launched their seventh season. Check them out at neighborspodcast.com. Also, the theme music you're hearing right now is also new. We recorded this with local musician J.P. Ruggieri. You can check out his website, jpregiri.com, where you can catch his latest album entitled Waiting on You that's available on all music platforms. We record here in Nashville, Tennessee at We Own This Town, a podcast platform that showcases talent from Nashville found outside the mainstream. More info at weownthistown.net. And a special thanks this week to Patreon members Rachel Levine, Mark Tuggle, Don Bennett, and Kristen Matteo for their support. Remember, you can become a member and get exclusive access to digital content and merchandise starting at just $1 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash outloudstories. Or if you'd like, you can leave us a one-time donation on Venmo at outloudstories. And if you haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And wherever you listen, hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes right when they drop. For more updates, you can find us on social media at OutLoudStories, and you can sign up for our email newsletter over on our shiny new website at OutLoudStories.com. Remember, friends, queer people have faith lives too. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Thank you for listening.